Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. If you have a divorce case where things look amicable, those are the cases that I like to talk to the husband's lawyer and say, look, both of our clients seem to get along. Here's the business. Why don't we save these parties money? And instead of you getting a forensic accountant, me getting a forensic accountant, next thing we know, we got the court appointed a third forensic accountant. Now we're spending three times more money than these people need to pay. Or a joint forensic accountant for both parties. He's basically a neutral guy who we think is gonna do the right thing. It doesn't mean that I can't sit down with my client and meet the forensic accountant ourselves, which we will do, and they will do the same thing, and he will proceed in that matter. As if divorce isn't complicated enough, Add wealth and a family-health business, and divorce negotiations can get quite complex and emotionally charged. That's why I created a series around divorce and the family-health business. Whether you're the primary business owner or the spouse of, this series is for you. We speak to attorneys for each side and walk you through what to expect and how to prepare from consultation through settlement along with typical intricacies of high net worth divorce are the unique complexities of the family held business, partnerships, commercial properties, employment of family members, and so much more. All of our experts are experienced in these areas and will assist you in asking the right questions, gathering the appropriate information, and ultimately negotiating the best possible settlement. Welcome back to our second episode in Divorce and the Family Held Business. Today's episode, entitled Legal Advice for the Business Owner's Spouse, a Step-by-Step Recipe for an Equitable Settlement. And this episode guides you through the process from consultation through settlement, highlighting the unique challenges you want to be prepared for, and the best practices you want to follow to produce the best possible settlement. Before we jump in, today's expert is my friend, Bill Laufer. Bill has been practicing law for more than 40 years. His experience has enabled him to represent clients in complex matrimonial cases involving questions of custody, equitable distribution, alimony, child support, and so much more. Uh, 
he has a depth of experience with both high net and family business clients and loves educating his clients on the quickest and most effective path through divorce. Bill has so much rich content for to offer us today. So get ready to take notes and dive in. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate that. Uh, very nice introduction. Uh, and I know we're focusing today's efforts on the do's and don'ts of getting forensic accountants and getting your client educated in regard to getting a fair division of their husband's or spouse's uh, business enterprise. And for today's purpose, since I have to take one side or the other, I'm going to assume, for argument's sake, that the husband, uh, in this case, is the business owner and operator. And my client is going to be the wife, uh, whether she's been a stay-at-home mom or out there working, but she's the one that needs to find out what her husband's business is worth, uh, what his income is, what she's entitled to, and how we get there. So I will be representing the wife in your scenario that we're going to talk about. Exactly. And so for everyone tuning in, whether whichever side you're on, this is going to be a really key episode for you to listen to. This is specifically for the spouse of in terms of guidance and direction. Now, Bill, before we jump in, you actually have a pretty unique way that your firm works. Um, and so can you just share a little bit? And, and I didn't mention the name of the firm. So please mention the name of your firm and that you you tag team um, your clients with um, two two attorneys. So can you mention the name of your uh, firm? It's, and It's Laufer, Delana, uh, 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 Doran, Jensen, and, and Boyd. And we've been in practice for many, many years. Uh, I just wanted to say basically that... Um, I'm just going to make a statement that no one gets divorced when they should. I want you to take that and remember that because it's true. Uh, it's human nature that nobody moves in the direction until they've had enough. And I say that to you because in the business enterprise, many times business will continue to grow or get or, or go in the other direction if someone has an ulterior motive in regard to getting divorced. If the husband knows that a divorce is imminent, and that his wife is going to get a, a piece of the business, perhaps he's not going to work as hard and increase the value of that business over time, hoping that she's not going to do some right, something right away. You know, On the other hand, it may totally increase in value or the potential to do that into the future. What I'm talking about, basically, the uniqueness of my practice, we have 16 lawyers in my firm, uh, and we are half women and half men, and it's just not by chance. Bottom line is, I firmly believe that in a divorce case, it's a very gender conscious profession. Why do I say that? When I have a new client come into my office, whether it's the uh, the mailman or whether it's the guy who's the CEO of his own company or vice versa, I always have a male and a female attorney representing that client. There are certain things that women, when we represent women, may not want to talk to me about or may want to talk to my woman partner or associate about. And the same with men. They may not want to say things to the woman attorney, but they'll tell it to me. So we have a team. When you hire us, you get a male attorney and a female attorney. And then we have you and you have access to both of us whenever you want. It's unique. I don't know anybody else does it, but people love it and it works and everybody feels more comfortable. Having said that, let's now delve into the 
the business valuation. Uh, well, issue. before I don't want to go into business, slow it down, Bill. I'll uh, what I we talked about earlier that I think is really important is you just mentioned something really unique that your firm does. And before we dive into the thick of it, a couple of um suggestions that you have for our listeners in terms of choosing an attorney if you're in this high net family business spouse of position, what do they want to be looking for? Obviously, there's not a lot of firms that have a male and a female, um, and that's a that, that makes so much sense. What are some of the other things as they're even vetting attorneys that they want to consider if they're in this position? So you're talking about if, the, if there's a business involved, what would they specifically be looking for for an attorney? They're a spouse of the business owner. Um, so, they're about to go through this divorce. Uh, and not the general things. We've got a lot of podcasts on that. But what's unique that they want to be looking for or asking about um, when hiring an attorney? I think you need somebody, when you have a business involved, you need some lawyer that's got some experience and background in dealing with these issues. Not a new lawyer who's a sole practitioner that only has themselves dealing with these issues. What we like to do is we have lawyers in our office that, that um, specialize in tax work, that specialize in estate planning type of issues. Uh, taxes are extremely important in these issues. People that have experience in running and operating businesses. So we have a field of expertise that some of our lawyers have more than others. So when you're looking for an attorney uh, to represent you and your husband has his own business uh, entity, you know whether he owns a restaurant, or whether he owns a sporting goods store, or whether he is a doctor and has his own medical practice or law firm, you want somebody with some sophistication and experience in dealing with these business enterprises. And it's good to have it in-house. You know, we of course, uh, I'm going to talk to you about getting your own accountant and talking to the CPA and things of that nature. But the more you have in-house, look, I've been doing this for 49 years, by the way, Karen, up to this point. And I've dealt with a lot of accountants uh, I understand the process that they go through uh, in valuating businesses, what they need to know, et cetera. So you need to have an attorney that understands that, that knows the questions to ask the client. So your attorney can have a very good and meaningful communication with this forensic accountant who's going to get into the books, records, et cetera, to, uh, in valuing your business, your husband, the family business. Let's call it the family right. business. The family business. You know, Bill, what I love about what you said is um, I've had another attorney say the same thing when talking about just affluent uh, divorce. And you're describing having a firm with a deep bench that you have relationships with all of these ancillary experts that are going to be needed in this case. And uh, someone who's a, a, a one man, one woman show is is not. And and I'm hearing that there's a lot of value in having the expertise in-house, having the relationships with those experts. Yeah, I mean, we're a divorce firm. It's pretty much what we do. Uh, that's what we're known for. But I have other attorneys in the office that deal with other aspects. We prepare wills and for people. You know, we deal with business entities of people. Now, some of the larger law firms, they have 50, 60-man law firms, and they maybe have a five-person divorce practice within that firm. We're more specialized in the divorce aspect is what you want to get, you know, as opposed to the other things. 
Uh, but it, it's good to have somebody with, you know, with some diversity in the firm that can help you uh, in the process. So let's let's dive into what happens. I am uh, I am the spouse of a family business owner. I come in a meeting with you for the first time. I've I've retained you, and now we're starting the conversation. Um, what do you? What is it that that I need to share with you? What are you going to be asking me about my family business? All right. So after the preliminary questions of your your name, your address, your age, your employability, your employment, your kids, how old they are, et cetera. Um, I would then get into talking about the assets that were acquired during the marriage. And as you know, when people divide assets, the courts look at what was acquired during the marriage, which means from the date of marriage until the date that the divorce complaint was filed. That's the ball field. And any assets that are acquired within that period of time are in the pot to be divided between the parties in an equitable fashion. It doesn't necessarily mean equal, especially when you talk about family businesses. Stocks, bonds, securities, bank accounts, the marital home, those are usually 50-50. But when we talk about businesses, it's a different animal. It's usually not a 50-50 division. The other things that I want to speak about are sometimes when people get married, their husband's already in business. He's already been practicing law for 10 years. He's had a, he's a he's a doctor. He's been practicing, you know, a practicing doctor. He's owned a restaurant. Maybe he owned three restaurants before you got married. Now he owns five restaurants. So I say that to you because the premarital portion of certain businesses are relevant. When a forensic accountant gets involved, and I want to ask the client about that, you know, you're telling me that your husband is the CEO and owner of a um, and I will talk about a um a very successful clothing store uh, in town. And he didn't start that clothing store until you got married. Now my life is a little easier because now the valuation is going to be on the date of the complaint for divorce because that entire entity that I need to find for my client was acquired while you have been married. Or, you know, my husband had the store before he got married. He had a small place in uh, Madison, New Jersey, and it was kind of a small show and, um, you know, I kind of worked there when we met each other. That's how we met, you know, and now he's taken that that small business. And now it's like new space. He's like the biggest town in tech. And now he's got three clothing stores, all from the time we met. So the, the portion that was premarital is not that significant. The big gotcha. deal is because if you have a premarital business, the forensic accountant needs to do not only the valuation of what it's worth today to find out what your interest is. He needs to find out what it was worth at the date of marriage. And if there's a premarital component, it may diminish. If it was worth $100,000 when I got married, and now it's worth, you know, a million dollars today, there's maybe only 900,000 in play. That other hundred's a premarital portion. So gotcha. it's important to find out from your client the premarital portion, whether it's been in existence before and to what expense, extent. I also want to know from my client, how involved have you been in the business? What do you know? Mm -hmm. Have you been a stay-at-home mom where you basically have four kids and you've taken care of the kids and you take care of their schooling and you cook the meals and you do all the shopping and you're your wonderful wife? Or have you been right there involved that you go in and you'd help your husband do the books and records? Uh, you know, you're the receptionist or whatever the case may be. I need to know their involvement. Sometimes it's important. I also want to know whether in her, her opinion, 
that the business is on the up and up. You believe that your husband is an honest man. Does he report all of his income? Is most of his income with, with credit cards? You know, people write checks. Or does he have a restaurant? And 50% of what he gets is usually uh, in cash. Does he bring home wads of cash on a weekly basis and say, look, sweetheart, look what I have here, and puts it in the safe deposit box? He might do that. The question is, does it make its way to the tax return? Does it make its way to the books and records? Does it make its way to the point where a forensic account is going to know that? Or does it not? And if not, you know, I need to know from my client to what extent. Yeah, my husband, every week he would come back and he would have a stack of money, maybe $5,000. And he would say, look, sweetheart, it was a good week. Here's a thousand. Go do what you want with it. That kind of thing. And it happens, you know, until a divorce comes. And then all of a sudden that disappears. No, we didn't have cash. There's never been cash. Everything's on the books and records. I also want to know from that client, not only what she knows about the cash in the business, how about perks? When we go on a vacation to Aruba with the family, does he write it off against the business? You know, or is it basically a family business? Uh, does he run all of our, our cars through the business, the extra perks? How about his golf club? You know, does he write, does he pay his dues and memberships through the business? Or see, these are all things that a forensic account is going to want to know. And the more information I have from my client, the more we can leave this forensic lead this forensic account to the area, you know, to explore, to explore. And it's amazing so, what you'll find out from your own clients. They know more because when the marriage is good, everything's on the table. When the marriage goes bad, things start to disappear and things start to get hidden, et cetera. I also tell my clients, keep an eye out for the mail that comes in every day. Look at the mail that comes in. You don't have to open his mail all the time, but find out where it's from. Does he get, the, does he get letters from the PNC Bank or, uh, or Morgan Stanley? And, and and we will start to look for the fact that maybe he has accounts there that you don't know about or haven't known about. So keep an eye open for the mail, make a list, maybe photostat the envelopes, bring them to me so we can have them in our little portfolio. So, Bill, this is so helpful. I have a number of clients right now that were really completely in the dark through most of their marriage. Their husbands run very successful businesses. They're affluent. They've lived a nice lifestyle, but now they're facing divorce and they don't have a lot of those answers. Can you just speak to that? Yeah, that's not unusual when a woman comes in, you know, and um, is smart, but basically, like you said, has dedicated her time to the family. And her husband runs a very profitable business. They've lived, lived a beautiful lifestyle. They got a lovely home. They got a vacation home. They go on trips. He buys her nice things, et cetera. Things are great. All right. And she knows nothing about the business. It's not unusual. At the end of the year, here's sweetheart, here's our joint tax return, sign here. And she yeah. signs, happens all the time. Is that your signature? Yeah, I signed it. Did you? Have, I didn't look at it. I just signed it. I signed it every year for the last 20 years. I've always signed the tax returns, not a problem, yeah. uh, which is an issue for tax purposes. But yeah, people are like that all the time. And you know what? It doesn't mean that all the more reason why you need to get a strong forensic accountant in there to review the books and records, et cetera, because your client is not going to be very helpful, except let's take a look at your lifestyle. I had it I had it last week where the guy was a very successful physician, right? And 
basically they lived in a lovely home in Mendham, New Jersey. They had a vacation home down in the down in Florida. They 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 went all over. They they patient all over. The amount of money that they spent on a monthly basis was more more than he reported on his income. So what does that tell you? That doesn't. It's some. Um, it tells you basically that there is more out there than makes its way to the books and records. And the doctor lawyer, the doctor has had another source of income from somewhere else. You know, we found out that he did some lecturing and some speaking and he read some articles on the side and he makes money from another source. Or maybe he's got his buddy as a partner that they, they, they do other things with. So the lifestyle sometimes will lead you to the point that everything is not on the up and up in regard to what is making its way onto their tax returns that a forensic accountant is going to look at. The forensic accountant, in that case, I want my own. And we'll get to that. I know that's another question you have. But but that's the person that I want to meet with my client and, and sit down with her and talk about their lifestyle to find out. And she can show what they've spent. So if they're spending $57,000 a month and, is and he only makes you know $30,000 a month, he needs to inquire as where'd the other money come from? Did you have a big savings account that you, uh, you know, had that you were draining off of everybody? Have you been dipping into your retirement account to make these expenses or where's it come from? So you had said uh, offline before we came on that you would refer to the forensic accountant as the gladiator. And as you're starting here, it sounds like the forensic accountant is absolutely central in in these cases. And uh, I have a question where we've interviewed a forensic accountant. Um, we're going to have an entire episode on that coming up shortly. Can you explain to our listeners, uh, business valuator, forensic accountant, same, different? Can you just um, speak to that? Yes, the forensic accountant is the person that's going to value the business. It's the same person. Okay. If you have a divorce case where things look amicable and everything looks like it's up and up and the husband's a reputable man and he files his tax returns in a timely manner, and it looks like everything is fine and there's no cash involved or any shenanigans going on. Those are the cases that I like to talk to the husband's lawyer and say, look, you know what? Both of our clients seem to get along. Here's the business. Why don't we save these parties money? And instead of you getting a forensic accountant and me getting a forensic accountant, and for some reason having them come this far apart on the valuation and we end up with a fight. And, and we end up in a courtroom and the judge listens to testimony from both of them and says, I don't know who to believe. Next thing we know, we got the court appointing a third forensic accountant to find out who's telling you the truth. Now we're spending three times more money than these people need to pay. Or listen, why don't you and I, we both know who the good ones are. There's five or six good forensic accounts that we've been using for years. The court appoints them. Why don't you and I agree on one of those? And let's get that person over and hire him together a joint forensic accountant for both parties. Because why should we spend the money on two when we can spend, we're saving both of our clients' money. We're going to get a good fair result from someone that's impartial. He's not the quote gladiator for the wife and he's not the defense guy for the husband. He's basically a neutral guy who we think is going to do the right thing. It's a wonderful way to proceed. It's better for everybody involved. 
And the forensic account will have the ear of both parties. It doesn't mean that I can't sit down with my client and meet the forensic accountant ourselves, which we will do, and they will do the same thing, and he will proceed in that matter. Now, I always do that. If I do that, I always reserve the right. This is important for both of you. Reserve the right to always get your own forensic accountant if for some reason you're not happy with the mutual forensic accountant. You want that out there that you have the right to do that. It's also good because this mutual forensic accountant knows that there's somebody that's going to be second, maybe taking a a closer look at what he does to make sure everything is on the up and up. So now, if you have a case that, like I said, where it just it doesn't make sense, where you have unreported income and perks being paid through the business, I want my own. I want my own. That's the gladiator. The other guy's not the. I want my own forensic to get in there and dig in, and I'm going to give him some direction. And so is my client, and we're going to really educate. And my client's going to go in and show him all the receipts that she has from their trips to the, you know, the, the Turks and Caicos and the Bahamas, you know, and 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 look at all the sh- look at the beautiful. Here, I want to show you all the the different handbags that my husband's bought me over the last ten years. They're worth like hundred thousand dollars. Or look at this jewelry that I have. I have my jewelry's worth. A quarter of a minute. This is all from his income. Right, right, right. Anyway. So so the key here is wrapping wrapping our heads around what's real with the money. So you you enlist the forensic accountant. Um what what are some of the other things that we need to cover regarding um the uniqueness in in this situation? Well, you also have to be careful uh, in when you value somebody's business because if your case ever gets into a courtroom and the forensic accountant has made a determination that there has been unreported income, which many, many times there is, that case screams out for a settlement. You cannot go into a courtroom where a forensic accountant is going to say, there's unreported income here, judge. These people have not been legit in filing tax returns. Because the first thing that happens, the judge has a duty and an obligation to report you to the Internal Revenue Service and perhaps to the prosecutor's office because a crime has been committed. And that's not good for anybody. If a woman thinks that that's a good thing to pressure their husband, because you know what? She's going to be sharing the next jail cell with him because they both signed the tax returns. But more importantly, they both have benefited, whether she knew about it or didn't know about it. She has lived this lifestyle and benefited by this unreported income, whether it's with her new Gucci shoes or her bar or purses or the trips that they've taken. So those cases cannot go to trial. That's when you need to go to mediation or another issue is arbitration. Keep it away from the judge. Keep it away from the courtroom. And those cases will settle. The last thing you want to do is get your husband indicted or the IRS come back and say he owes a million dollars in back taxes and they put him out of business. That doesn't help you. How are you going to get alimony if he's in jail? Right? How are you going to get your piece of the business if the business is being shut down because of these problems you have? So those are things you got to be careful of. And your forensic accountant will be aware of that. That's why everything is done kind of before you get into, before a forensic accountant prepares their final report, let's sit down and talk about what's on the table before he puts anything in writing that may find its way 
to people that we don't want it to find their way to. That, that's such an important point because I think it makes sense that uh, you you have plenty of people. You and I have worked with them who are who are angry, bitter, resentful, um, and do have a you know I, I want to put the screws to this person because they've hurt me so much. And your point is such a good one that you have to be very careful because you could be putting the screws to yourself and the future money that you are expecting and need. And, and those uh, cases usually will sell. I'll give you a perfect example. I don't mean it. I had a case where the guy had a big car wash, car wash, right? And when you go to car washes, most people pay, at least they used to today, every lot they, they buy credit card, but everybody pays for car washes. They go in and they pay cash, right? And what's the biggest day of a car wash? The biggest day people go get their car washes after a snowstorm. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I had a, we had a client. They had a big car wash the day after. And we got a copy of his. We subpoenaed his records. OK, for the day after the car wash, after the snowstorm, I subpoenaed the records to find out how much money he took in today, how many cars went through the car wash. I also that day I hired somebody to sit outside the car wash and count the cars with a clicker of how many cars went through there that day. You know, an off duty policeman, actually. Sat there, paid him, click, click, click. And then at the end of the day, we decided that the amount of cars that we knew went through there and we had proof, all right, was a lot a lot higher than he claimed to run the, that he reported, you know, whatever. So I had him. I got him. And he showed it and he conceded. And the bottom line is we sat down and settled the case based upon the real numbers, not the fictitious numbers. So there's things that you can do to... Be a little imaginative with people that have been doing this a long time to get to the bottom. And it's I'm talking about to get what's fair, what's fair. Right. Never look for anything more than fairness. Well, so so that's great. That's a great story. Thank you, Bill. Um, I want I want to shift a little bit. The other complexity that I was speaking to Elon, our forensic, about was um, properties. And I also have, we're also going to be, stay tuned, there'll be a real estate appraiser who talks about appraising properties. But unlike you're just affluent, where you might have one, two, three, or more homes, um, there's also commercial properties that are often involved. And so can you just talk a little bit about how that plays into your role working with the, the wife? Sure. So let's assume I'll take an example that your husband is a very successful doctor, has his own medical practice, and that's going to be valued as his medical practice. He also owns the building that the medical practice practice is situated in. So you're right, we would need two things. We would first have a commercial real estate appraiser go value that building and put a number on it. The building's worth $2 million. Separate and apart for that, we will value the business. Why is that important? An equitable distribution most of the times when you have a building or a home or a fixed asset, the wife is going to get 50% of the value of that asset that was acquired during the marriage. Businesses are treated differently. In other words, if I come up and I determine that the value of the husband's medical practice is $3 million, picking a number out of the air, that's the value that is subject to equitable distribution. Now, that's the value of his ongoing entity. He can't sell it tomorrow for $3 million. He's got a medical practice. He's also going to continue to run and operate that business. He's got to basically buy the wife out of her interest in the business. Now, is that a 50-50? The answer is no, it's not. Why is that? Because if, in fact, it comes to the point that he has to sell his business, 
Number one, he's going to pay taxes. He's going to pay other fees involved in selling that business. He's also going to be part of the reason that it's worth that is his continued efforts to continue to stay there and run and operate the business. It's got a value to it. So our courts have accepted that philosophy. The rule of thumb is that if you have a long-term marriage and your husband has operated that business during the term of the marriage, say 20-year marriage, husband's been a doctor for 20 years, they're getting divorced, we put a value on his business. Usually, the buyout number will not be a 50-50 to the wife. The husband gets a credit slash haircut off of that price. It's usually a third. It's usually a 30%, 33% of the value instead of 50%. If it's a shorter term marriage, sometimes it will go down to 20 or 25%. So the range of equitable distribution for a business is somewhere between 25% and 33%. Our listeners often share that they've been on the fence about leaving their difficult marriage for far too long. What about you? Are you walking on eggshells, constantly trying to make sense of your spouse's black and white thinking, revisionist history, endless blame and accusation? Have you lost your voice, your self-confidence, even your belief that a better life is available for you? Imagine for a moment entering your divorce unflustered by your spouse's recriminations, certain of your legal rights, crystal clear on your next steps, and secure in your support team. How would it be to feel guided and supported to create, practice, and implement a bulletproof plan to leave your marriage with grace and dignity? If this sounds like what you need to finally get unstuck, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com and learn more about our Get Off the Fence program. You can even book a call with a coach to ensure that this is the right program for you. change that would be that if you have a wife who has been involved in the business let's assume they own a restaurant together and she's there right with them she runs the you know she takes all the reservations she's there every day with him they run it together as a joint enterprise although he's what that's usually goes more towards the 50 50 it's just common sense it makes sense and that's usually what happens regardless who buys the other party out she's the one that has put in her efforts to put that into the into the value it is today, not all of his efforts. Now, I don't take so, away. His efforts aren't as significant as the fact that he will continue to work and operate there because my client, Your Honor, you know, has stayed home. She gave up her CPA license, even though she has a she's a graduate student, has a license. She gave all that up to raise these three wonderful children. She stayed home. She's helped build this household. She's helped her husband on all facets of everything, and therefore, and her her job, her her occupation is more or as valuable as his. Talk about the toughest job in the world, and this is why I represent mostly women. It's being a mom and being a housewife and raising a family. More important and harder than anything that anyone can do. So I want all the women out there to hear when I said that, because that's 
our focus, because I represent probably 80% women and 20% men. And there's a reason. So, and I want to bring you back to, and it's a great point, and it's it has to be said because, um, but because if they're getting divorced, there's a good chance that that role is being diminished. Like they 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 didn't bring nearly the value to the table. Look, excuse me. Let's go back to you. You explained half of it, which is you went back to what they would get out of the business. But let's say. His business is worth $3 million and the building is worth $5 million. So he's still running the business in the building. Um, how does that commercial piece of property play out in these cases? If I'm representing the wife, I want 50% of the value of that commercial building. If I'm representing the husband, I could take, I say, listen, the whole entity, the operation of this business takes into the fact that he owns this building and therefore she shouldn't get 50% of the building. She should get the same percentage of the building as she will get in the practice. It's a gray area. It's, it's not open and shut. Depends on who you're representing uh, and how important that entity is in that building. Now, if he could take, you could say, listen, he could take his practice and move to the next town and, 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 and rent the building there. His business is still worth the same thing. Now we got this vacant building. We're going to sell that. And why should it be a 50-50? The other is no way. If he's not in this building, in this town, in this location, his business would not be worth that. That's when the forensic accountants come into play. And they can put a, they can put a, you know, they can tell you how important it is that maybe you, you, you put them together as one or whether they're separated. It's a it's a gray area. It's not open and shut. And and I want to just direct our our listeners to an episode down the road with um, with a real estate appraiser that talks about the difference in how you appraise a commercial property and um, and a residential property, which I think will be really helpful. And your point is such a good one. So expecting somewhere between what 25 or 30 percent and 50 percent of the value of the commercial property is a, a, is that like a reasonable spread of expectation to have yes very much so and and i know what you're saying because a commercial when they value a commercial property a lot of times they will take into consideration you know the rental income coming out exactly. of that exactly and therefore if the husband who has his his, you know, his sweetheart medical practice and he doesn't pay, he pays less rent because he owns the building, right? right. Uh, that may have an impact upon the value. A good commercial person will say, listen, you're underpaying your rent. The real fair rental value of this property is twice as to what you are paying. I'm valuing this commercial property as to what it would be to a third party, not to you. And exactly. That's what, that's what they will be telling you and talking about. The marital, the, 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 you know, the, the real property, the marital home is different. It's the house, whatever it's worth. They do comparables on that. So it gets. So little, let's. It, it, yeah, it, it's well, it's complex. And yeah. so. So, OK, so let's say let's say we're moving through the process, Bill. And at this point, the numbers are on the table. We've we've met with the forensic. We've gotten the appraisals done. Of course, there's the the financial planner which would be with any marriage, right? Like what are your stocks and your investments and everything else? So let's say all of that information is on the table. Um, what, 
it, are there unique, um, how do I want to ask this question? Are there unique challenges or obstacles um, when you're dealing with a family business in terms of how to negotiate or when to do anything? So is there anything unique? And if not, then I'd like you to just talk in general about how you navigate people through the the negotiation process from all the information's there to settlement. Yeah, one, one of the most important things is, is there enough money available to buy that person out? That's sometimes a problem. You know, yeah, we understand that the husband's business is worth $5 million, throw in the commercial building, he needs to keep them to maintain them into the future so he can continue to make money to pay alimony and child support to his wife and family. All right. So in other words, he's got to come up with, let's say, $2.3 million to pay to the wife to buy her out. Can't sell the building. Can't sell his medical practice. And the bottom line is they've lived this nice lifestyle. So they only have a million dollars in their portfolio. Right. And the house, listen, yeah, we're going to sell the house, but I don't want to sell the house right now because I got three kids in high school. So we're going to defer the sale of this house until our kids graduate from high school. Then we'll sell the house and split the monies. And you know, when we sell the house, I'll take my share, sweetheart, and I'll give it to you as part of the buyout. So that's one of choice. The other is I will pay you over a period of time. I owe you, I'll owe I when it's all I owe you another million dollars. I'll tell you what. I'll pay you that million dollars in the rate of $100,000 a year over the next 10 years at 5% interest. That's as good as I can do. You know, I'll try to secure it the best that I can. I'll give you life insurance in case I die before I don't pay it. Yeah. You know, yep. so there's you have to be a little creative in that regard. There's also interesting cases when you have sometimes when the wife doesn't want to be bought out of the business and the husband doesn't want her to be bought out of the business. I'm not talking about a medical practice, but I'm talking about maybe the restaurant that they're thinking about selling two, three years from now. There's something called a ride along where the wife says, you know what? This business is really doing well. I'm not looking for him to buy me in because he can't even afford to do it. I'm going to continue to be your partner into the future. And when you sell it in three years, we have an agreed upon time to sell it. I then will get my share. So I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to continue to be your partner. I'm not going to be looking up your, you know, to look at whatever there is, but I'm going to ride along with you into the future and then get my share when you sell the property at that time. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen on occasion. Does so, it ever happen where there's there? I, I know it does. So what I love that you brought up that um, possibility. What if uh, both parties do want to continue to work together? Like the, how does if they're so he owns the business, she's been working there. Let's say she's been the chief financial person um, and making whatever she's making. How does that play into? Um, well, they have to. I've had that case. Well, I'll give you one example that jumps out at me is they owned uh, three dry cleaners. OK, and they both worked there. They had three dry cleaners, very successful in three separate towns in the in the area. And they both. Basically, and their kids worked in the business too, okay, which is not unusual. So it's family, family, family. You had two boys, two girls, everybody helped out, and they ran the three bit very successful. And they just they didn't want to sell it. It was their source of income, it was their source of livelihood. Okay. And the bottom line is their incomes from the business were not that different. 
because they basically took it out and put it into the marital account. So what do you do with that, those kind of people? We don't want to sell, you know, uh, you know, the, the Fratello, I'm picking a name, the Fratello uh, dry cleaning businesses in three days. We want to continue to maintain them. So let's do that. And it's the only thing you need to do with it, people have to get along. They have to have some faith and 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 belief in the other. In other words, they have to trust one another to some extent. To have that. Well, let's say, along. let's say the trust is there. I'm, what I'm really curious about. So, so obviously, like you're, you're getting divorced. There's a reason you're getting divorced. So let's say it's amicable enough. You're sharing a forensic. You can definitely work together for whatever reason. Yeah. How does that change? Is that just like getting divorced without a family business? Like, how does it change the family Basically, business you get, part? You get a divorce because we can't stand to live with each other anymore. And I've got a girlfriend and you got a boyfriend. And I'm OK with that because we don't get along anymore. Let's get divorced. You know, we'll sell. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with the, all the other assets. We'll divide it. We're going to continue to run these businesses together for everybody's benefit. And we'll get along and we'll do that. And therefore, they continue to own these together. In some time in the future, they will reserve the right that if one party wants out three years from now, that we can then get the forensic account involved then to put a value on the businesses and either one buy the other party out or we sell them all and split the proceeds. And then it's just like any other business where two like, partners are splitting, which is kind of like the professional divorce, right? It's, yeah, exactly. it's like they, the they enter into a separate agreement, see it quite, you know, it happens where they they defer. They defer the sale of the business and they enter into an agreement of how that's going to be dealt with in the future. And they have a definitive plan there. I mean, one party may want to not want to keep it forever. I usually have it that if one party wants out, they will have the right to get out. They will have the right just as if they were going to get divorced. They go right to that process and they have the front accounts involved and put a value on that property, et cetera. So that's actually part of the settlement is the clause that if you want out, here's we, here's what we're agreeing to. And we put that yeah, it's a, almost a separate addendum to the marital settlement agreement, which is the business, the, the sale and uh, buy out of the business in the future. And, you know, so sometimes it's beneficial, especially kids. It's a good thing sometimes. Maybe the parties agree that we're going to turn these businesses over to our kids five years from now and we're going to be happy and walk away from that. Because the bottom line is in our wills, when we die, we're going to leave everything to them anyway. I always find that interesting that people get divorced and they fight over things and they do their wills and everything is left to their three children when they pass away. So yeah, both of them. So it all, it goes out here and it funnels right back to where it was. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, I want to go back to this piece though. Uh, when it comes to a family business, when you have um, children, uh, in-laws, um, you know, son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, from your vantage point, from the vantage point of working with uh, a matrimonial attorney, what, if any, complexities does that raise? Many times it will, it will be more divisive than, than not. I'll give you an example. Uh, a real case, a uh, woman uh, and husband and wife owned a very successful uh, woman's clothing store, very successful, catered to the high, catered to the fairly rich, rich people in the neighboring communities, their prom dresses, their wedding dresses, they made a lot of money. The husband basically was the guy that would go to Europe and he'd do all the buying 
and he'd come back and the wife would basically run the business. And they had a nice thing going. They made a lot of money. They're getting divorced. Basically, she can't stand him anymore, wants nothing to do with him. Two of the kids had learned how to go to Europe and do the buying, right? They basically locked daddy out of the hall, out of the business. They literally almost threw him out because they found that he was disruptive and he didn't get along. As of what it and the end of the day was, is that the wife, and as a result of that, the children, the adult children, did not have a good rapport with dad because it turned out to be a they sided with mom, who has continued to own and operate the business, and it caused more problems than normal. Dad not only lost his wife, but basically had a major issue with his two kids wow. who ended up buying the business and buying him out. He couldn't go back in there. So sometimes it's now if they all got along, they could have continued doing just like they did before. It's hard because, you know, that 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 that, 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 that the trust goes by. It's hard. It doesn't happen that often where they continue to trust each other and they continue to work together and see each other. Because next thing you know, you know, a husband, you know, brings his new girlfriend into the store. It, you know, things happen. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's yeah. all, there's all these different. So it's important for forensic accountants, you know. Um, well, whatever. I mean, they just they they really need to, to do their best to put fair market values. on. You know, it, it's it's funny. Some of these areas of law have changed drastically over the last several years. I can, you want me to give you an example, for example? Sure. Doctors. Do you think doctors own and operate their own medical practices today? Ten years ago, when I represented a woman and her, her husband was a doctor, he owned his own medical practice. He owned the building. He owned the patients. He owned his. He had his. You know. You know. They don't. They don't do it. Atlantic Health, Meridian Health. They have bought these doctors. They don't own them anymore. They are almost like employees of these major. You know, medical entities, and they're not. And and if the doctor doesn't want to work there anymore, he can leave. But he everything is owned by. The the met like I'm talking like Atlantic Health or Meridian or some of these high you know they own all of these doctors practices today. Your doctor doesn't own his own office anymore, so there's nothing to value. There's nothing to value because he doesn't own it. So it's almost like you're just dealing with him he's as a W two employee. Gotcha. Yeah, he's an employee. Bill, we've we've been going for some time now. I still have a handful of questions. So I want to, could you, you, you've already listed so many complexities and gray areas and where does the money come from just because the numbers are there. When it comes down to negotiating, because I, I one of the reasons I love you so much is you're such a straight shooter. So Talk to these women who are listening, the spouse of when it comes down to negotiating, give us your top three to five do's and don'ts. Well, um, I highly recommend that if you can get a joint forensic accountant, that you go that direction. It saves a tremendous amount of time, effort and money. And if you get somebody good, somebody good, I would make sure that the first thing that happens is you and I. And that forensic accountant meet the three of us in my conference room or your lawyer's conference room. Let it be known, here's where we're going, here's what we have. And if you don't think that you can be impartial in bringing this to the table, then, I, then, then I'm going to get my own. The, so the forensic accountants, the good ones, 
like Alon, someone like him who's your good buddy to talk to, he gets that. And he knows that he has to deal with the wife's issues and the husband's issues. And he will bring them together if he wants to have some credibility in the courtroom. He can't go in there and ignore the fact that there's unreported income. And we have proof. So he's got to go to the husband and say, listen, tell me, talk to me about this. We have this on the, so if you can get a joint forensic accountant, go in that direction. It's very important. The other thing that I'd highly recommend is you should at least have your own accountant helping you. I would assume that during the marriage, you probably had an accountant that your husband used who prepared the tax returns, who looked at the books and records. He's in, believe me, say what you want. He is his accountant. Okay. He may try to keep you on board, you know, but go get your own, someone that you can at least have as a sounding board. And if you don't have one, your lawyer, like me, will get you somebody that's good, that we can utilize, give you peace of mind that you're getting a fair deal. It's important for you to do that. You need to know that. You know, it always amazes me that when women got divorced and their husband has a portfolio of stocks, bonds, securities with his with his, with his, uh, you know, his, um, you know, financial his planner, financial planner and they get divorced, they stay with him. And and I get it because they feel, well, if he's good enough for him, he's good enough for me. And maybe that's okay. I always like to say, well, let's, why don't you get your own, you know, somebody that you can develop a rapport with. Yeah. Anyway, I say the same thing. So get somebody out there that you can always consult with. And it doesn't, you're paying by the hour. And you know, the bottom line is when you get divorced, you're going to need your own account anyway to prepare your tax returns, unless you have this wonderful relationship, maybe the family accountant's your cousin or your dad's best friend or who the hell knows, something along those lines. So those are the biggies. And again, I would not go crazy in trying to fight for more than you're entitled to. That's what causes litigation. I'm telling you that if it comes down to the bottom line and you're on the table is one third the value of the business, and you really haven't been involved in it that much or even a little, I would not fight for 40% or 42%. You will spend more time, effort, and money than going there. A third is where you need to be, okay? But 30% isn't where you need to be. And if I have the husband, I'm going to tell him not to do third. A third is kind of where you need to be. It's a fair number. Fighting for more than that, I don't know. It's probably not worth it. So that's where you end. But stay there. Stay firm there. And, and and unless, you know, you could take less if your husband's going to put something else on the table. For example, listen, sweetheart, you could stay in the marital home for the next two years. And when we sell the house, you know, let's do it 60-40. You can have 60%, but I want you to take 30% of the business, but I'll do 60-40 if you in the house. Negotiating, the big picture, it always can be worked out. I love lump sum alimony. That's not my thing today, but... I would love to talk about that some other day, but that's another thing that I love for so many reasons. Yeah. Okay. So, and the Excellent. forensic accounts also need to look at where the business is going, is going. Is it going in a positive direction or is it going in a negative direction? And if all the efforts during the marriage has bit this thing to go this direction, they need to know that that increased value into the future, he's going to do better. He can afford to pay you what you're looking for. It's right. not like a chair that's going down. He can afford that because he's going to go here and you're only getting your piece of what it's worth today. But five years from now, he's going to be making more and you're probably not. Most cases, men 
in the long run seem to make more money in the future than the woman's fixed number that they get in a divorce case. Absolutely. And I want to tie what you just said back to the beginning. So if you're if you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, but my but my spouse already told me that the business since COVID has been busted and it's going down. Remember what Bill said in the very beginning, which is what is told to you and what the forensic finds out could be two very different things. And so um getting those experts and I'm hearing we're talking about a forensic accountant. We're talking about a commercial and residential appraiser. We're talking about a good CPA. We're talking about a financial planner. This is your bench. This is your all-star professional support team. That's going to take you through the divorce to full settlement. And along the way, there's a lot to be educated on and you don't and have like to know that. everything. And I love educating my clients. I really mean that. I don't want my client. When I have a client come to my office, I give him a, I give him a red room like this and it's empty. And I want to make sure when it's the case is over, their red rope should be similar to mine. I want to educate. I want them to understand everything that's going on. Not to just yes, man, yes, sir, yes, whatever. I wanted to understand and that's important. And a good divorce lawyer will make sure that you have all of these things available to you. Yes. And all these sources available to you and will insist on that. You know, some women, they just don't want to even go there. They don't want to value their husbands. As if they don't care. Yeah, he said, he, he, he said, I can have the house and he keeps his business. That may be fair. But don't you want to know whether that's fair or not? We don't have to go through a big, expensive forensic accounting. Let somebody who's a good forensic do a look-see. There's something called a look Let's take a look. You know, let's look at the last three years of tax. It's not going to spend five grand on that, not 20. And, 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 and if the forensic account says, you know, that's close enough, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But, you know, you're going to walk away from a business that's worth five times more than your house? No, not a good idea. So... Um, the the moral of the story as we begin to wrap up is who you choose to represent you, who you choose as your attorney is vitally important. In At JBD, we've got a couple of podcasts on the kinds of questions you want to ask, how to make sure that you vet the appropriate attorney for you. Um, Bill certainly explained a lot about all the perks of working with his firm and Ryan, who we're speaking to next, who's going to be representing the business owner, also talks about that. Make sure um, you have a list of questions and you vet that attorney well. If you don't know how to do that, reach out to info at Journey Beyond Divorce, and we'll make sure to get you some resources. Bill, as we wrap up, and I always love talking to you. It's like sipping from a fire hose. You have so much to offer. Can you uh, share the name of your firm again, where you're located, how people can find you? Um, so my firm is Lauford, Delana, Jensen, Bradley, and Doran. All right. You'll notice that there are three women and two men in that as my partners. And we have some other partners who are not equity partners. It all equals out the men, women scenario, as I told you. We're in Morristown, New Jersey. We are 16 lawyers. We all work together. We've all been together a long time because we like each other. We work with each other. We share with each other. It's not all for one. It's all together that we work together like that. Um, I even have my oldest daughter, Alexis. So I'm all sitting. She's a divorce lawyer and she's unbelievable. 
So she works for me, one out of my four daughters. Anyway, so that's what we what's, do. What, what's we, the website? Uh, it's wlaufer at lauferfamilylaw.com. Lauferfamilylaw.com will show you our website. And it's got a lot of information on there for, for all of you. Um, we cover pretty much all of New Jersey. Um, I'm also licensed in the state of Florida because uh, that's where I went to law school a long time ago. So I don't practice as much down there, but I have a lot of cases where people have Florida, New Jersey issues. And I work with a lot of Florida lawyers because a lot of people in New Jersey have places in Florida. So yes, they, they you know, so I do both of those, but that's pretty much it. And again, we cover pretty much everything you can want. And it's important for you to get somebody. And listen, I'm not adverse to when you're looking for an attorney, you know what? Interview a couple of lawyers. Many, many lawyers will provide you, me included. You come into me for initial consult to talk to me. I don't charge for that. Many lawyers charge for their hour. And yes, I'm confident do. enough, that's me, that if you come to see me, I'll bet that you're going to hire me. And if you don't, so what? I gave an hour of my time for free. Go interview two or three attorneys. Get a feel of what they're going to tell you. It's a good idea. It's like anything else. Just don't accept one. You know, get a couple recommendations of two or three good lawyers and go talk to them. It's also important that you have a, a you know, a rapport with that attorney, that you feel comfortable with that person. Look, I'm a family man. I only say that to you because, in my opinion, that has made me a very, very good divorce lawyer. I have four daughters. I've been married for over 40 years. I have eight grandchildren. I get it. Family comes first. Family comes first. And when you negotiate your divorce case, I, I, I always like the person that says to me, my family comes first, like my kids. I like that person. Anyway, that's kind of it, Karen. I don't know what else I can add to today. That, did, did you, that was great. You knocked it out of the park, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us, for sharing all of your experience and wisdom. And we will be back real soon with another episode of Divorce and the Family Health Business. Until then, you take care. Thanks, Karen. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.